Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What happens with Pier 1 is, you know, you still have bills to pay. And when you can't pay your bills, bankruptcy looms. Welcome to episode 37 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I'm your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Pier One Imports. After 58 years of making its name as a home furnishing retail titan, Pier 1 Imports was flailing. In April of 2018, Alistair James, the CEO of Pier 1, unveiled his strategy to investors and the media with the plan to revive the purveyor of Pinterest-inspired home decor. We will need to promptly narrow our strategic focus and hone our execution in a way that reinvigorates our top-line sales. His answer was a three-year turnaround plan, which he called Pier 1 2021, A New Day, that would lay the foundation of transforming the entire business, first by reducing clutter, revamping its doors with newer, better curated inventory, and driving sales growth something that the company had not seen for quite some time. James outlined his plan on an investor call, and though it seemed so promising, the financial world, as well as 18,000 employees around the world, were about to find out whether they would see a new day after all. Welcome to the story of Pier 1 Imports. Assembled in San Mateo, California in 1962, packed up and shipped off by 2020. Why do people obsess about home furnishing? If you look at the amount of home decorating shows and magazines, there's never a lack of them. 
To put it best, home decor serves as the backdrop of our lives. It characterizes our individuality, showcases our personality, and for some, decorating their home is about practicality. But for many others, it's so much more than that. There's a psychology behind how we furnish our living spaces. It's a taste driven by function, whether it be for comfort, to inspire, to entertain, or just feel at home. These days, home decor is a $200 billion market galvanized by the biggest players, Ikea, Wayfair, Bed Bath & Beyond. But not long ago, there was a company that had one time dominated the entire home decor market and for decades. That company was called Pier One Imports. And in its heyday, it had over 1,000 stores all over the world and over 18,000 employees bringing us the most eclectic and quirky array of home furnishing design and decor products. From love beads, exotic rattan chairs to other treasured goods. And for over five decades, Pier One took the reins of the decor retail market, never thinking that its wares would ever go out of style. To understand how Pier One went from boho to, oh oh no, no, we need to go back to how they first started. Way back in 1962, Charles Tandy and Luther Henderson took an interest in a San Mateo, California furniture shop when it was going through some credit issues. They bankrolled it, reopened the shop under the name Cost Plus. Henderson actually worked for Tandy at his extremely successful retail business, Tandy Corporations, which, fun fact, later became Radio Shack. So in some ways, these two retail behemoths came from the same bloodline. Anyway, Tandy was intrigued when he saw how successful and relatively simple the furniture business was and began opening chains of these cost plus stores, importing beautiful, interesting items that included specialty textiles, candles and furniture from places like Thailand, India, Morocco and Mexico. Tandy would get them dirt cheap, and even with huge markups, these items were still considered very inexpensive in the United States. Couple that model with the backdrop of the baby boomer generation who were first-time homeowners, and you have a formula that worked so well. In less than five years, Tandy had opened 20 or so cost-plus retail stores, and business was booming. And so was Tandy's Radio Shack Enterprise, and it was taking his attention away from the main business. So Henderson took over, acquired cost-plus, and then changed the name to Pier One. Pier One went public in 1970 at a time when the company was rolling in millions of dollars, And that was a lot of throw pillows they were selling. The plan was to continue their store expansion as they went from 42 to 123 stores after going public. But they had their eye on something greater and bigger. They wanted to go international. Stores opened in Australia, in England, France, West Germany, the Netherlands, and Belgium. Pier 1 was bringing in $5 million annually by 1967 and then $68 million by 1973. 
and business continued to prosper for years and years as the world went from baby boomer to the explosive decade of growth through the 80s. There was still so much limited competition in the market, according to analysts, including Sucharita Kadali, VP at Forrester Research. She's an expert on retail, e-commerce, and consumer trends and explains the rationale behind Pier 1's meteoric rise. The heyday of Pier 1, I would say, was in the 80s and early 90s. Even arguably, I mean, it was still growing until about the financial crisis. So it was growing well into the 2000s. But that was really the peak time was when malls were hot, when people were still predominantly shopping offline. And Pier 1 didn't have a ton of competition in the 80s and 90s. So, and it was definitely a very different experience. It was a relatively small format store. They were able, you know, to get to decent store sales numbers and sales per square foot because you didn't have as much to do as a big box store. And it had a quirkiness, which was so much better than the big box stores, which were just these aisles and aisles of unpersonal merchandise, whereas Pier 1 had quirkiness to it and fun and color and things that you hadn't seen or normally wouldn't see in other retail stores. Pier 1 also carved out a niche that was attractive to consumers. This idea of being able to find knickknacks that were unique and exclusive, but also inexpensive. And they were able to do that with their vendors and wholesale relationships abroad. And that made them invincible. It was a treasure hunt almost. That's actually been a really popular merchandising strategy over the years. You know, I mean, Costco continues to milk the treasure hunt. So the idea of being able to go into a store and see something unexpected and to then add it to your cart and purchase it when you weren't expecting to purchase that, that's really something that they excelled at in their early days. And it was something that made them very successful for a long time. Like I said, it's a merchandising strategy that if you can get it right, it can be great. But I mean, the treasure hunt, it requires a lot of creativity. It requires great merchant connections and it requires unique relationships with brands and vendors who don't make those same products broadly available elsewhere. And then came the foreshadowing of the 2000s, which brought with it bigger competition, cheaper knockoffs, and of course, the Goliath of retailers, the internet. What was really interesting about the downfall of Pier 1 wasn't that it was abrupt or dramatic even. You see, the emergence of the digital wave instead came kind of like a trickle, like the slow wax drip of one of its beautiful tapered candles. Having been an e-commerce analyst, having been in, in the e-commerce world for a while, we could have probably seen the end when the internet started to take shape. But I don't think a lot of retailers recognize that because when you looked at their numbers, they were seeing growth. Pier 1 was actually growing pretty much until 2005. So that was a little bit earlier than the recession. 
but it was it was growing through quite a bit of the early days of of the internet and you saw that with a lot of companies that they were growing so they didn't recognize what the internet was doing to them and what the internet was shifting away from them and by the time they did recognize that i think it was it was a little too late too little too late And as the sun was setting for many retail brick-and-mortar stores, we saw the emergence of many innovative startups paving the way for new types of companies, ones that didn't require a heavy reliance on its storefront, needed a lot less capital, and was adroit to cater a new generation of consumer behaviors. You know, they'd already had too many stores. They didn't course-correct their store footprint, and they didn't invest in the Internet. And at that point, there were all kinds of players like Wayfair and Etsy, of course, Amazon and eBay as well that had come into the space. And, you know, then you also had other super low-end or I should say super low-priced, really attractive sellers in the same category like Ikea, which also took away a significant amount of share. The internet birthed new companies like Wayfair, Overstock, and even Etsy, which rose in ascendance to source cheaper, sometimes better quality products. Minus cost in inventory management and storage, showrooms, and shipping cost, these advantages served as threats to Pier 1, and failure was beginning to loom. The company, having been so heavily focused on their building and funding of its storefronts, with their international expansion and overexpansion, was now also drowning in debt. They were at a crossroad, and they needed a life raft. So in 2017, Pier One brought in Alistair James as CEO, who presented an ambitious plan to help bring them back to life. Turn it around by strengthening the company's value proposition, new branding, fresh merchandise, and a more compelling shopping experience and dynamic marketing. But the fatal mistake James made was to focus on revamping its stores, most of which were in less than ideal locations and situated in second tier retail spaces. He ignored the movement of the industry that was focusing more online instead of improving existing infrastructure or investing in the future of digital. He doubled down on the old way of doing things, trying to elevate the brand, but not putting it where anyone would see it. Before we get into that, here's a quick word from our sponsor. If you're like me, keeping up with the news has become a real pain. All the best news sites are locked behind paywalls and the free stuff is just clickbait and fake news. Imagine an app where you get to unlock access to reliable news sites and filter out all the noise, but it still shows you every story from multiple perspectives to counter bias. Where good news, as in positive stories, is highlighted so you don't become despondent and where journalists dig deep into the news around the world to find you stories you wouldn't normally see. That's what an innovative Australian startup called Inkle, I-N-K-L, has come up with. Inkle.com has signed partnerships with over 100 news sources like The Economist, The Atlantic, and Bloomberg to create a unique system combining journalists and algorithms to create a best-of-news feed. 
This service unlocks more than 12,000 of premium news for just a hundred bucks a year. So if you go now to inkle.com forward slash great dash fail, they'll give you an additional 25% discount. So you get a whole year's worth of headache free news for $75. That's inkle.com, I-N-K-L.com forward slash great dash fail. And now back to our show. In 2018 or so, they may have gotten a new CEO, and it was essentially a turnaround strategy to invest in the business and to have it compete. And I think they had identified their competitive set more as a pottery barn, essentially, in Crate and Barrel, which was a little bit higher end than they were, which is a very, very different strategy than Pier One, which was, you know, the small format store, you know, with a bunch of crowded merchandise, not particularly merchandised attractively in these, you know, kind of a variety of different malls. Often I would characterize not necessarily A malls, but probably like BB plus malls. And yet they were trying to compete with Pottery Barn and Crate Barrel, which were in the A malls. But yet they were doing things like, I think they changed some of their product sourcing. They may have invested more in in marketing. They probably did reconfigure some of the stores, which is a very, very expensive proposition because they had like a thousand of them. And, you know, kind of even if you reconfigure your stores, if it's in bad real estate, that's not going to do much. And I know from experience, I worked at Toys R Us years ago where they spent a billion dollars reconfiguring all of their stores at one point in time, but they didn't change the location of a lot of those stores. And the problem was that, you know, if the stores were in bad geographic locations, they were not in the best retail venues at the time that you do the revamp. It's like, you know, you're just kind of throwing good money after bad. And I think that that's essentially what happened with Pier 1 is they raised money for this turnaround. And, you know, the turnaround basically didn't work. And, you know, you still have bills to pay. And when you can't pay your bills, the ratings agencies call it out and, you know, bankruptcy looms. Reinvesting in the things that were overextending the company and draining it of cash turned out to be a poor strategy, especially as Pier 1 was facing off with smaller, more nimble companies with tighter operations and storefronts that were predominantly online. As high and low-end retailers found its solid footing, the window for Pier 1's potential success was rapidly closing. They just never managed to fill that gap with who they really were and who they were catering to. And other companies took advantage of the empty space. I think that it also had an identity crisis and it didn't understand or know where it stood. And it didn't go low end and it didn't characterize itself as quirky low end, which is probably maybe what Cost Plus World Market arguably is able to do, but nor were they really high end. I mean, they certainly weren't, they didn't have a a bar that was serving, you know, $25 glasses of, of wine either, like Restoration was. And, you know, it didn't have the premium locations of, of a pottery barn. 
nor did it have, on the other hand, the sprawl of, of Ikea, you know, where it was a one-stop shop and you could get everything from your furniture to your accessories in one place and, you know, kind of feel good about the amount of money that you spent. So I, I think that they, they had an identity crisis and they didn't really, they were stuck in the middle when consumers had so many options online and offline with so much different variety at so many different price points. When a company loses its North Star and brand ethos, it's hard to retain loyal customers. And this is where Pier One was circling the drain. It wasn't able to carve out a solid brand category when companies like IKEA and Target had built reputations based on their niche and price points. I think that they were stuck in this middle ground where they were in no man's land. I mean, they were trying to compete with kind of the selection of the internet, the cheapness of IKEA, without like the quality of like a manufacturer in in North Carolina and, you know, sort of like, well, where are you? You're stuck in the middle and, you know, you're neither price nor value. After several months, it was clear that the New Day initiative was ineffective, seeing continued sales decline and supply chain challenges that left its 1,000 stores with no new products, lots of empty shelves, and even more empty parking lots. In 2018, James was quoted saying, We are disappointed in our results for the second quarter, which primarily reflect execution challenges as we prepared for and implemented our August brand relaunch. We are in the very early stages of the multi-year New Day strategic plan we announced in April, and while we remain confident that our plan is the right course for Pier 1, it is now clear that our initiatives are taking longer than expected to gain traction. It wouldn't be long before the New Day initiative would see its last day. At first glance, it might seem that Pier 1 was just another victim of the retail apocalypse overtaken by mega retailers like Wayfair and Amazon. But it didn't have to be that way. Other stores in the same market have been able to account for a changing industry and plan for it. It's not as simple as missing their window. They chose to go all in on an outdated model, hoping that their prestige and consumer base would follow them offline, even away from increasingly convenient retail spaces and shopping experiences. This was one design scheme that was poorly executed. So there are some great lessons. One is their overdependence on stores and ignoring major shifts in the retail landscape and uh, executing against them very, very late in the game. So I think that that was an issue for them because they probably could have invested more in e-commerce earlier. They could have been more creative about their approach to e-commerce. I mean, their company is like One King's Lane. And, and of course, you know, kind of we talk about companies like Wayfair all the time, which had a ton of drop shipping and a ton of 
merchandise that they sold that they didn't actually own, which is a brilliant strategy that e-commerce allows you to do. But to this day, very, very few companies embrace that. But there were competitors of Pier 1 that were doing that you know, years before it declared bankruptcy and when it was still investing in its stores and you know, a physical turnaround strategy. In January of 2020, Pier 1 announced that it was filing Chapter 11, closing 450 of its stores, cutting 40% of its work staff. However, by June the same year, the company announced that it would go into liquidation, ending its 58 years of providing the world its fun, delightful decor and furnishings from around the world. Pier 1 credited the global pandemic with derailing their Hail Mary efforts to save the company. But it's worth noting that while the world hunkered down at home, furniture companies emptied their inventory as customers took the lockdown to redecorate their homes and convert rooms into new home offices. Shelves and online inventories across the number of retailers were emptied, many on week-long waiting lists. This year, 2021, would have marked the end of their three-year turnaround strategy, Pier 1 2021, a new day. But unfortunately, they couldn't quite land this new strategy at the pier. And in the end, they became nothing more than just another sinking ship. Special thanks to Sujarita Kodali for her insight and analysis on Pier 1 Imports for this episode. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind-the-scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. I must confess, I did what I did, now my life's a mess. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.